Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Show, episode 209. On today's show, we continue our series on paleoanthropology and human origins. Let's dig a little deeper, but not too deep because we get into expert territory and I don't want to get emails. All right, welcome to the show, everyone. Hello. So we're still down in Mexico, as mm-hmm. people know. Yes. I, I want to start real quick because the, the event, I guess, that we were, if you want to call it that, the gathering, we call it a convergence that we were down here for in February, introduced us to a lot of new friends mm-hmm. and people that now know about the podcast and are possibly listening. So Ooh. I want to say welcome to our new user, our new <laughs> listeners. It's uh, it's glad to have you here. It's weird to like know people that are listening to the show. I know. Now I like... I have to like, I don't know, be better, <laughs> but I want to be good for everybody. But like when you know, know. somebody you actually know, like could send you a message and be like, uh, that thing you said was really dumb. So I know, right? do better now. <laughs> I know. It's fine when we get those messages from random people. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Which so. speaking of that. Yeah. So we got one about our, la- our first episode of the paleoanthropology series. Yeah. And the commenter basically said that we didn't cover enough. They mentioned a nature article that they linked to that's actually paywalled, so that's not very helpful that's, for yeah. me. Yeah, we but can't see those. It, it's discussing how our early theories about the common ancestor for basically humans and chimpanzees uh-huh. is you know, somewhat sooner, but also somewhat di- more different than we thought. Yeah. I never mentioned what the common ancestor was in the last episode. I just mentioned that there was a common ancestor. Yeah. I thought I'd remembered something about up to 20 million years ago. It could be sooner than that. It could be. Uh, more recent, but that wasn't really the focus of the discussion. No. So it's we were, good to know. It is. Yeah. We're just trying to cover like the main fossils that fit into the evolutionary tree. Yeah. And, and when they were discovered and who discovered them and where they fit and what their characteristics are. So, yeah. and we're not going super in-depth we can't we just can't cover everything it's a huge huge field yeah Yeah. so we're trying to keep it broad also there was another comment about us mentioning the aquatic ape theory and it's been out of favor by anthropologists for a long time now it's definitely like borderline pseudoscience for sure which well it was a it was a theory based on observations right and there's been lots of theories based on observations Mm -hmm. of lots of different things paleoanthropology and human evolution is no stranger to that Mm -hmm. and people's ideas of why something looks the way that it does, trying to explain traits that it has, have massively changed over the last hundred years. Mm -hmm. I mean, massively changed, right? Every time we find something new or we have new evidence, something changes. When the person who proposed the aquatic ape theory in the 60s came out with that, it wasn't immediately scoffed at, but you know, it it was a way to attempt to explain some of the traits that they were seeing. And then future evidence showed that, well, no, actually, this doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, so. I think that's the important part is you can you can sit around and, and come up with theories all day long. But if you don't have the evidence to back them up, then you have to 
to let go of that theory. And yeah. and there's actually another one that we're going to talk about today in this episode that we'll get to because today we're talking about Australopithecus and all the different fossils yeah. that fit into that family of of species. And one more thing to note just regarding the aquaticate theory, the only reason I even mentioned it at all is because it's still something you see. It's still something yeah. you see in even textbooks. Yes. It's mentioned. It's something you see in resources. If you're looking online, researching human evolution, it's mentioned maybe as a passing comment, as a theory that mm -hmm. we used to think, you know, for some traits. So that's the only reason I mentioned it. And you know what? I'll tell you what. The audience for this show is not people who are experts in paleoanthropology. Right. The audience are, is people who may have heard nothing, if not maybe a few things about paleoanthropology. They kind of know what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And our job is to just hit the highlights on this. We, we want to talk about the big players in the human evolutionary bush, if you want to call mm -hmm. it that, the tree, so to speak. And, and just... Just kind of talk about them and, and about what they look like and where they were and, and what they mean to the human family mm -hmm. tree. Our interpretations of how they fit in and, and how that evolution actually happened, of course, is changing. And we may not have the most recent papers that yeah. discuss that. We yeah. just don't have access to them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and it's always good to be aware of the fact that in a, a field that's kind of rapidly changing, like paleoanthropology, you have to know you have to know what past researchers believed or thought in order to understand where we're at today. Yeah. So even though that's not a theory that's widely accepted, it's still good to know that it's something that people thought about in the past and has now been dismissed. So it's, right. it's good to have that history of it. Okay. So continuing on from last week, yes, we are going to continue marching down the family tree yeah. towards the, or actually from forward the roots up time. the family tree. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess it is kind of up, but forward in time is, yeah. is where we're moving to. Yeah. And the first species we're going to talk about is Australopithecus anamensis. Yeah. So these guys lived in the 4.2 to 3.8 million years ago range. And it was primarily in Eastern Africa, like Lake Turkana, Kenya, and the middle Awash area of Ethiopia. Yeah. So it's interesting that Australopithecus, that you're going to hear a lot about Australopithecus. And I believe it means southern ape, Australopithecus, I southern think, ape. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Right. And yeah. then usually the the last part is something to do with where it was found, mm -hmm. you know, along those lines. But yeah, 4.2 to 3.8 million years ago. This is previous to Lucy, who you might be thinking you've heard of. Mm -hmm. She's a really famous Australopithecus. We'll get to her. She's a little different. Yep. yep that's coming in segment two. Yep. Yep. So this one, as with... Pretty much everything from this point forward until you start getting into the homo line has human and, well, modern human, or at least hominid and ape-like Yeah, traits. hominid and ape, yeah. ape things going on. So we'll kind of list the things that are more ape-like and then the things that are more hominid-like, and, and you can kind of see how it's becoming sort of a cross between the two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and what puts this into the, into the again, the human family tree is usually things like, well, it's a it's a mammal, mm -hmm. it's ape-like, mm -hmm. and it can walk upright. And it walked, yeah. <laughs> In some cases. Yeah. There's other things too, but mm -hmm. this one, for example, the upper end of its tibia is expanded as compared to other apes, I would assume. Yeah, kind of like a wider yeah. shape. Right, maybe to hold more weight. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and has a human-like orientation indicating bipedalism. And the tibia, by the way, is one of your lower leg bones. So it connects with the femur in your knee area. And so the head mm -hmm. of it or the end of it is talking about that that joint where it right. connects with the femur. 
And when we talk about walking upright, too, you might think, well, I was at the zoo last weekend and I saw monkeys walking upright. <laughs> well, when we mean bipedalism and walking upright, we mean full or most time walking upright. Yeah. You know, it might not be all the time. Yeah. They may have come down on all fours occasionally. I don't know. Mm-hmm. There's a family I read about in Turkey that walks on all fours, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Look that up. Look up family in Turkey that walks on all fours <laughs> and you will be amazed. Yeah. So, but there's, anyway. There's always exceptions and there's always <laughs> different situations that can yeah. happen. Yeah, for sure. But bipedalism, when we start naming a new species and and looking at that, the bone won't change if you only do it occasionally. Right. The Mm -hmm. bone changes evolutionarily if you do that most, if if not all the time. And then it becomes selected for and it becomes a trait that that moves forward. It does if it makes you get with the ladies. (laughs) I mean, that's really (laughs) what that means. (laughs) So in the anamensis species, the ankle joint also has a sort of human-like orientation. And this is another reason why we think that they were probably bipedal. Yeah. All comes down to the bones. Yeah. But they also have long forearms. And the wrist bones and the structure of them, they indicate that they probably were climbing in trees as well. Maybe Mm -hmm. not a lot, but they had the ability to if they needed to or wanted to. Right. And again, it doesn't even mean they did climb trees. It means that they have similar traits to other animals that climb trees. Yes. That we know climb trees. Yeah. We can't know what their behavior was. Obviously, there's no way to know that. We just can look at their bones and look at the structure and say, well, they could have done this. Well, yeah. And as they were changing, obviously, they weren't changing individually. They were changing over, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. Yeah. And... They wouldn't have known they were changing, right? But they could have had these tree tree climbing adaptations, but maybe not used them very much. Uh-huh. But that takes a long time to kind of go away mm-hmm. if you don't if you're not going to use mean, it in the evolutionary I, record. I can go climb a tree right now. Yeah, well, you can't swim I'm, from trees. I'm not sure I would do very well at it, but I could do it. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> we have people that live in you know jungle and mm-hmm. uh, those types of environments, and then just crazy people who like like to do parkour. Yeah, they can just like parkour through the trees <laughs> right, right. and uh, do whatever they want. Those people are nuts. Yes, but are they adapted specially for that purpose? No, they've just learned how to do it. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So there's a difference between an adaptation and a learned skill. Mm-hmm. And and just strength training and, and things like that. Yeah, so. for sure. The cranium of Anamensis also has a mix of ape and human-like features. And on the ape side of things, they've got a protruding face and a long, narrow brain case. Mm-hmm. So tip, typical of apes. And then on the human side of things, they have forwardly projecting cheekbones. So... There yeah. you go. Kind of that mix again. These species, they all have like this mix of different things going on that Do do I have forwardly projecting cheekbones? I guess I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do. Yeah. Uh, my mom really does. She's got some cheekbones. Oh man. All right. <laughs> Yeah, the first fossil of this was found in 1965 by Brian Patterson from Harvard. It was a single arm bone, and the species couldn't be identified yet. They didn't know what it was. It's yeah. kind of hard to do that off yeah. just like a single arm bone. Just a bone. Yeah. I mean, I think at that point, when you have just this disparate bone, it, you need more data before you can actually assign right. a new species to it. And so very smartly, they sort of found it, set it aside, and were like, well, this is something, and we're not going to give it yeah. a species yet. And it, you know, 30 years later, they finally were able to put a name to it. And then... All the way up in 1994, our first sighting of paleoanthropological royalty takes place (laughs) in this podcast series. Yeah. (laughs) And Meave Leakey found teeth and bone fragments at the same site. Yeah. They recognized it as a new species and called it Australopithecus anamensis. Now, Mm -hmm. Meave Leakey, 
Again, she is paleoanthropological royalty. Yeah. Uh, this is the only family that I'm aware of that has multiple generations in the same field mm-hmm. that have made such massive contributions, yeah. right? I mean, there might be other, you, I'm sure I'm just going to get an email on that one comment <laughs> where somebody says, well, what about the cultural anthropology family, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's yeah. like, okay, so nobody, in, yeah. nobody knows about them. Yeah. The leakies, like- you know, it's it's like if Jane Goodall had had kids and that then their kept kids, on doing primatology. and they were just yeah. as famous. Yeah, right. Right. Mm-hmm. Like Meve Leakey is just as famous as her grandparents, Lewis and Mary Leakey, who yeah. kicked this whole thing off. Yeah. And then Richard Leakey, who is Lewis and Mary Leakey's son and Meve Leakey's father, mm-hmm. he was huge in paleoanthropology as well, but not as big. He got more into Kenyan politics, mm-hmm. and actually, he was instrumental in stopping the ivory trade right, and right. the killing of, of yeah. elephants basically for their ivory. Yeah. And I think that also went along with like, what is it? Hippo horns or something or rhino, horn, rhino horns? Rhino horns. Yeah. 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 But not, it wasn't as much, but it was the elephant killing of the elephants for yeah, their tusks. For their that tusks. was, that was big. Yeah, totally. So in fact, I'm pretty sure I read a book. He was instrumental in, there was a, a famous picture that went around from the eighties or something like that, where it was just a massive pile of what equated to many, many dollars worth of oh. ivory tusks uh-huh. burning. Oh, wow. He just burned them just and said, them. nope, no more. No. Like if, yeah. if they exist, then the trade still exists. So right, right. as sad as it is to burn it, it's probably better to, to just get rid of yeah. it. So but. they kept on looking around in this area. And most recently in 2019, a team led by Johannes Halle Selassie announced a nearly complete cranium dating to 3.8 million years ago. So yeah. all relating to the same species. Yeah. And what I loved about that is, so that's fairly recent, you know, just what, four years ago. And what the dating on that cranium did, and this cranium is very solidly in the Animensis category. Mm-hmm. And that dating on it, it causes it to overlap with the next species that we're going to talk about, which is Australopithecus afarensis. And the reason why that is significant is because this overlap means that Anamensis is not just the descendant of afarensis. Mm-hmm. They they overlap. So they might have been sharing genes, their DNA overlapping. Like there could be actual genetic overlap happening there rather than just one being the descendant of the other. And I think that really right. changes the way we look at these these two species because these two are very big players as far as what our family tree looks like because we have a lot of examples of them and they're pretty well established as to when they lived and and you know what they look like and that kind of thing. So it's really interesting. And and that's just shows that this field is always getting pushed forward. We're always going to find new things. The dates are going to change things and and we're going to have to change the way that we think about the way these species fit together in this tree. It's really cool. All right. Well, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the, uh, if we're talking about royalty in (laughs) paleoanthropology being the leakies, well, then Lucy's the princess because everybody knows her just about as much. So the leakies weren't involved in this one. Not even a little bit. Not even a little. But anyway, we'll talk about that when we come back. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? 
Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Welcome back to the Archaeology Show, episode 209. And this is our second episode in our paleoanthropology series for beginners. <laughs> yep. I gotta say, if you're an expert, turn off this podcast yes. and go somewhere else. <laughs> you're not gonna like it, yeah. probably. Not that we're saying anything wrong. It's just very broad. Yes, very broad. Yeah. Yeah. So, talking about Lucy, we are, and she was. Well, we'll get to why she was named Lucy here in a minute. Yeah. Yeah. So go ahead. Yeah. So the next species we're going to cover is Australopithecus afarensis. And these guys date to between 3.85 and 2.95 million years ago. Mm -hmm. And that is like a 900,000 year period. It's huge. So these fossils span more than 900,000 years. That's a huge amount of time. And they're found across Eastern Africa, Ethiopia, Kenya, and Tanzania. Yeah. They are... One of the best known species, probably because of the long time span, and there's been a number of species named in the Australopithecus genus, and there's there's a number of them, and mm-hmm. then we have lots of examples of them as well, and yeah. some really good examples, and Lucy is probably one of the best known of this species and of the Australopithecus line, because we have remains from over 300 individuals, mm-hmm. first off, yeah. for Australopithecus afarensis, but then Lucy herself was... Lots of bones. Yeah, like, and yeah. she was the first one. Yeah, at least the first, first one, one we named. Identified. Yeah, the first yeah. one given the name Australopithecus afarensis. I think there's older ones that were grouped into it later on. Yeah, but her skeleton is like nearly complete, and we saw it. Oh, we yeah. got to see it in person in Dallas or Houston. When yeah, it was coming through Houston, the states. I think it was, and yeah. this is probably 10, 12 years ago now. Yeah. So it was a long time, and it did a tour throughout the United States, and that was so cool to mm-hmm. to go actually see the the fossilized remains of a three point however million years ago. Right. I don't remember what her exact date is, but it's yeah. in that nine hundred year time frame, and that was just amazing to yeah. see something that old. And she was originally discovered in nineteen seventy four by Donald Johansson and team. I'm going to put an asterisk on that, <laughs> and they nicknamed her Lucy. Mm-hmm. She was found in Hadar area. Of of Ethiopia. Yep. Now here's the thing. I'm pretty sure, and I didn't look at this before this podcast, but I'm pretty sure she was not found by Donald Johansson. I it don't, was obviously his team. Yeah, it was. He was part of the team. And yeah. from what I remember, it's like every other archaeological discovery on a site, they were oh, just about done with that area, and they were walking away. And mm-hmm. one of the other team members, I can't remember what his name is, he never went on to his own like big fame like this. But uh, one of the other team members found some fossils eroding out of a hillside Mm -hmm. and they looked at it and then ended up coming back. And then when they they brought it all to the field lab uh, as they were excavating it, and I think it was around the time that they determined it was a female, Mm -hmm. Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds from the Beatles was Mm -hmm. playing on their their little tape recorder. Uh, Mm -hmm. They had the tape of it playing. Yeah. And that's why she got the name Lucy. Yeah. Thanks to the Beatles. (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense, though, in that That time period. That is Beatles, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't want to get that wrong. (laughs) Yeah. So the other, there are some other famous fossils, obviously with over 300 samples. There's a lot of famous fossils in this category, but some of the other ones are the first family, which was found in Hadar, Ethiopia. And then in Dakika, Ethiopia, the Dakika child skeleton was found. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The first family was cool because it was a number of individuals and it looked like, you know, Almost a almost a mother father child yeah. you know relationship it did. which was kind of yeah. cool yeah but 
again, you can't really make those associations. We don't have DNA. And like family is a modern construct yeah. that we have today and, and assigning that to a, a species that's that's distantly related to us right. is, is kind of maybe not the best idea. But yeah. well, it's still really it. cute and sweet to think that they were a little family together. Right. So. And then we get to my favorite fossil ever because it's not an actual fossil <laughs> no just more rock though yeah the latoli footprints and these are the oldest documented bipedal footprints that we have to this date mm-hmm. and i think my love for footprints i think we've talked about this before because we've had some footprints that were found in the united states that are super old and and push are beginning to push back the dates in the United States for human arrival. Yeah. And here too. I just I just love them. I just think they're so cool. It's mm-hmm. such a it's a thing that doesn't stick around 99.9% of the time. Yeah. But when it does stick around, it's just such a, a human thing to leave behind. And I know that yeah. these are not technically humans, but it just feels so human to see their footprints. So yeah. it's really cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. The entire trackway is about 88 feet long or 27 meters mm-hmm. and includes impressions of about 70 early human footprints. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. If I'm not mistaken, this they were walking through like soft clay yeah, or probably like uh, could have been like near a lake edge or, or something mm-hmm. like that, yeah. but something soft enough to make the footprints, but not have them kind of collapse in on themselves. And they were almost immediately covered or covered soon enough after they walked over them by basically asphalt mm-hmm. from a volcano. Mm-hmm. So maybe nearby there's also 70 early hominids <laughs> you know clustered around like Pomp- pompeii style, pompeii style. <laughs> yeah. i don't really know maybe we haven't found them no we haven't yeah but we do know we do know that that's probably how the footprints were preserved so well yeah and here's a cool thing well first off they were found in 1978 by paul abel who was on mary leakey's team yeah lewis leakey died in 1971 i want to say yeah he died really right. young mm-hmm. and and he was more the the figurehead of the Leakey family. He mm-hmm. kind of kicked this whole thing off. He wrote uh, a lot of the books early on and well, stuff too, right? He's mm-hmm. famous, almost more famous than Mary, only because he wrote the books. Yeah. He authored the books. He, yes. Mary obviously contributed, contributed a lot to Contributed a lot of research but to them. Lewis was the one that had the National Geographic grants and yeah. was going around on speaking tours. He was the front-facing I image mean, of this. And Mary was back digging yeah. up the actual fossils. 50s, 60s, 70s, of course he was the face of it. 30s, like, 40s. Y- yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, of course he was the face. Like, yeah. that was the society they lived in. And but you got to read some of those early books by the Leakeys and their adventures out into Olduvai Gorge. And I, I yeah. remember one where they just like something happened to their water and they ran out of water and the the nearest water supply just was full of like hippo and rhinoceros <laughs> urine <laughs> and it was gross. And so they tried to collect water by it would rain occasionally. And mm-hmm. when it did rain, they tried to collect water coming off a tarp that they had brought with them. But back then. The plastic of the tarps, oh. it was coated in like kerosene. Oh, God. And I didn't really think about kerosene that. Kerosene water, no. Yeah, so then they're like, this water doesn't taste good. Oh, God. Yeah, they ended up doing some other stuff, but yeah. it was all just crazy back in that time trying yeah. to figure out all that stuff. So Very, very anyway, rural. Another cool thing is I went to Africa in 2005 on an Earthwatch expedition, stayed in the Leaky camp, mm-hmm. saw Mary Leaky's hut. The expedition director was living uh, for the three weeks in her hut. In her hut, yeah. It's still a working research camp, mm-hmm. right? There's a lab there. There's yeah. probably other buildings there now. This was 2005. I was there. Yeah. And that lab building had actually solar panels and some some batteries, like rudimentary solar panels and batteries mm-hmm. to give it power through the day when the sun was up and then for a few hours at night after mm-hmm. the sun went down because the batteries weren't like super great. But we, yeah, we lived and I, I ate breakfast, lunch and dinner in the same little uh, kitchen area that the Leakey's ate at, yeah. you know, for many years. And it was really cool. And in the lab, well, outside the lab, sitting on some... 
some very shaky wooden like sawhorse kind of things was a massive section of the Laetoli trackway that oh, they really? literally sawed out oh, with wow. like with like concrete saws, lifted out <laughs> and took to Olduvai Gorge, oh, took to the Leaky Camp. Feels like the wrong dis- thing yes. to do, but yeah. So <laughs> in man. in future years they took cast of them, of course. Yeah. But they literally took. Took, I've seen a piece of it. Wow. We never went down to Laetoli; it was too far away. Yeah. Okay. But I I've I've literally seen and touched the piece of the trackway that is sitting at the Leaky Camp, <laughs> oh which is gosh. just nuts. Oh, that's yeah. so crazy. So, well, the other thing that I just wanted to mention because this show, hey, look, it's our pop culture reference for the episode because you know we have to have at least one. Wow. <laughs> so, we've been watching 1923 recently, which yeah. is one of the Yellowstone prequels. Prequels. And in it, the two that are in Africa, we don't need to go into their whole plot line, but there's yeah. two that are in Africa, and the man takes a woman over to see. The, uh, a footprint encased in stone that is like the dawn of humanity blah right. blah blah and they don't say it in the show but they're probably referring to these footprints because there aren't any others and in the area that they're in it would be the Latoli footprints they're like saying that happened in 1923 which would be like 50 years before these were even discovered well, by the I mean the here's leakies. the thing here's the thing Paul Abel of the leaky team like I said 1978 but yeah. that's probably when it was made known to the scientific community I'm willing to bet local people knew about that well, stuff for a long time maybe the reason they were in that area at all is because there were there were animal tracks and yeah. so they were thinking well if there's animal tracks here maybe we'll find something else so they yeah, started there's lots exploring. of tracks at Laetoli. yeah yeah so they started exploring and looking for more things so yeah anyway sorry 1923 that was maybe not your best move to to <laughs> right. indicate that these two people discovered <laughs> <laughs> although the duttons i wouldn't put anything past the duttons mm-hmm. maybe they did discover the Latoli footprints before hey, wouldn't doubt, before wouldn't the researchers actually did yeah anyway oh man so other things to note about the afarensis species is childhood development was shorter, so they would have spent a lot less time with the parents. It just is less time for everything that you learn from parents. Mm-hmm. It's just more of the ape style of development rather than the human style of development. But like previous species, they did have both human and ape characteristics. Yeah, they had a flat nose. Projecting lower jaws, small brain, long arms for tree climbing. Those were all their ape characteristics. Mm-hmm. And then the human ones are small canine teeth and a body that stood on two legs, of course, and walked upright. Yeah. And they were short. The diet for this species was much like other things in that area, I would imagine, was uh, mainly plant-based, including leaves, fruit, seeds, roots, nuts, and maybe some insects and small animals like lizards and grubs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Grubs. <laughs> that's a That's a 25-year-old reference. Oh, I don't even get that one. Lion King? <laughs> oh, Lion King. <laughs> Right, totally. Yeah. What, oh, what do man. they say? They 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 pop, but are like sweet. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Um, my favorite part though was that you just like spluttered at me because I didn't get your Lion King <laughs> reference. That I was could, really good. I you, can't believe that. I know. Well, you were like a child when I, I came. Out. I was, but yeah. Anyway, yeah. well, you might be wondering how they can tell diet, obviously, from just fossilized remains Mm -hmm. but it's because of their teeth so they can look at the wear the dental wear on their teeth and you know they've got over 300 individuals to look at so they have a lot of teeth for the species that that they can analyze and that's how they've come up with this list of things that they're eating yeah there's people that go around they're crazy but they go around doing experimental archaeology and then also looking at 
the typical diets of similar species mm-hmm. now today and what their teeth look like versus fossilized and, mm-hmm. and, and earlier examples of these species, not just hominid or human species or Australopithecus, but lots of stuff. And they yeah. say, okay, so when something lives mostly off of grasses and things like that, this is what their teeth look like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we know that like, for example, chimpanzees today, they'll pull off a, a blade of grass or a branch or something and they'll run it through their teeth and pull off all the leaves and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that has a very specific type of wear pattern yeah. when you do it every single day for your entire life. Yep. So yeah, there's lots of stuff we can see. And probably those things that are listed right there are things that would have been accessible to them. Mm-hmm. They would have been tasty. So why not eat them? Yep. And they could have eaten them. So they probably did try. Yeah. And the wear patterns indicate that, yeah, that's probably it. Yeah, so. Definitely. All right. Well, that's it for Lucy. She's pretty cool. Uh, take a look. Yeah. And oh, do you remember my I Love Lucy shirt I had for the longest time? You don't have it, that anymore? No, because it just fell apart. But when we went to see Lucy oh, in, yeah. in Houston, I had a shirt. It looked like I Love Lucy the show. And it said, But it was I Love and then the skeleton of Lucy. Man, right. I miss that shirt. All right. Well, Lucy was found <laughs> up in Ethiopia, which is at the northern end of the African continent. On the other side of the break, we're going to the southern end of the African continent to finally talk about Australopithecus, the southern ape. (laughs) Back in a minute. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Welcome back to the third and final segment of the Layman's Guide to Paleoanthropology, (laughs) part two. Come on, it's a little better than that. We both took classes on this in college and stuff. I more studied it independently. Yeah, you did. My school didn't really... I mean, we talked about, obviously, early hominid evolution as as was known in 2001. Right. But... we didn't really dive deep into it. I, I deep dove it because I just love origins type mm. stories and knowing where we come from. I mean, I definitely took a class on it that was specific paleoanthropology. But again, it was, you know, mm-hmm. 2003 paleoanthropology. So yeah. it's been a little while. But anyway, the next species we're going to talk about is still Australopithecus. But this is Australopithecus africanus. Yeah. And then there's a couple other smaller groups that we don't have as many fossils to that we're going to talk about in this one. So, yep. So, Africanus dates to 3.3 to 2.1 million years ago, found primarily in South Africa in mm-hmm. this case. Yeah. So, we're like going very far away from where the yeah. other fossils were found. Yeah. Long ways sure. away. Yeah. Very similar to Afarensis with a mix of both ape and human like features. Sound like a broken record there. I know, right? Yep. <laughs> they have a rounder cranium than Afarensis with a larger brain and smaller teeth. Yeah. And larger brain is kind of the trend that you see in the hominid line. Uh, it, it's weird that it, it doesn't get like a whole lot larger over the course of millions of years. Yeah. And then like one to two million years ago, it started getting it dramatically went. bigger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we'll talk yeah. about that a lot more next in the next episode when we yeah. go into the, the homo 
category. Right. Yeah. So the other thing that indicates that it's in our, you know, ancestral line is that the pelvis, leg and foot bones indicate that it walked bipedally. Again, broken record. All of these species get included because they can walk upright, basically. (laughs) Now, now here's the thing real quick about that. You know, just because it did walk bipedally, I want to correct what I possibly said in the first segment. I think it was bipedal locomotion does not indicate you definitely are a human ancestor if you're yeah, an ape. True. It just means you could have been. Yes. Right? So some of these species that lived either concurrently or you know, I mean if there was a, a march of this one lived, then this one lived, mm-hmm. then this one lived, obviously they're going to overlap because that's how evolution works. Yeah. But if they overlap by a lot and they live together maybe on different ends of the continent in this case, but maybe even in the same areas, you know, some of those may or may not be part of our actual human family tree. Mm-hmm. They were just other species that happened to be doing a similar thing, it's but then the line possible. died out. Yeah, that's you know? entirely possible. Yeah. So. You can't assume that they were in our a direct line to us, but that's why yeah. we have this like bush tree concept rather than right. the straight line concept of evolution. It, yeah. it wasn't straight line. It couldn't be. Yeah. It's, it's not really possible. They could have contributed some genetic material because of some mixing that produced viable offspring mm-hmm. in some cases. But yeah. yeah, we, we really don't know. And there's no way that we can know, no, no. especially when they live concurrently like that. Right. Until yeah. time machines are invented. We don't right. get to know the answers to these questions. Is that the first thing you're going to do if time machines are invented? Oh is God. like go back and figure out yeah. what what human evolution looked like. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and I don't know probably probably give Lucy a little nameplate that says my name is Lucy <laughs> and say never leave them never let this go so we can find it later. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so ridiculous. Anyway, uh, this species also had long arms and shoulders and hands that were probably adapted for climbing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like but, past species, you know. Yeah, I they mean, could have done it. Climbing is something that was just like had to happen in Africa, you know, with yeah, the trees, to just to it. stay safe. Yeah, I mean, again, to, not to reference 1923 again, but in an Africa scene again, they escape from lions by climbing up in trees, and yeah. you know that that feels legit. Just to get away from a, a large predator, mm-hmm. a tree is a really good good place to go. Yeah, you want to sleep soundly at night before you've invented fire? <laughs> You're probably going to do it in a tree. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now so. we're making assumptions here and these are just silly musings that we're having. It could have happened. But it could have happened. Yeah, they're adapted yeah. for it. Yes. Somewhat. So it doesn't mean they didn't do it. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah. We also have fairly solid evidence that they, you know, sometimes went into caves mm-hmm. and, and maybe stayed in there for a longer period of time. Not not like a habitation kind of thing, but then also <laughs> there are some caves, especially in South Africa, where we found these guys munched up and eaten by like cheetahs and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There's one famous example. I don't know if we're going to talk about it, but I can't remember, but they, there was like a tree. Well, they think what, what happened was, cause there's a lot of these limestone holes basically just mm-hmm. out on the flat African landscape. And then you're walking along and the cave's entrance is is like it's you're like looking at it down. like a well yeah oh, okay and then so there was a theory on one of those they just found like lots of different animal species including mm-hmm. early hominids mm-hmm. and, and probably australopithecus down in this hole and they thought well cheetahs for years were probably because dra- they like to drag their prey up into the tree oh, and then and they'd then... eat it and the pieces of it would just fall down into this cave right and then you know that's where it would end up so mm. well i'm sure we were a delicious cheetah snack uh, so i'm sure i i could buy that theory yeah cheetos <laughs> yeah anyway so the first fossil of this was called the Tong Child, T-A-U-N-G, mm-hmm. and was described and named by, again, sort of 
paleoanthropology royalty. Like royalty yeah. yeah, Raymond Dart in 1924. He did a lot of stuff down in South Africa. I think he was with the University of Johannesburg, but I can't remember. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure. I didn't really research. He him was in that area closely. a little bit. Yeah. yeah, but he he started the whole hunter gatherer idea too mm. back in in his days when he was doing a lot of research. Yeah. So we have a lot to thank him for for sure. So the Tong child was the first fossil of that kind to be found in Africa and mm-hmm. started leading people to think that, hey, maybe humans did actually evolve in Africa. Yeah. You know, because it obviously wasn't human, but yeah. had a lot of human like traits. Mm-hmm. And and this was this was what sort of kicked off those yeah. theories. And in 1924, they wouldn't have really had a great way of dating it necessarily yet, but they, they could tell that it was it was old. Yeah. It was old and it was sharing characteristics between apes and human. And of course, like you would expect when you have a lot of academics, probably European academics involved, it took 20 years for it to even be accepted as being part of the human evolutionary mm-hmm. tree. Because, you know, coming from Africa, that was just not something that people were willing to accept that, that human origins started yeah. someplace like Africa. Especially the staunch British that were verifying all this stuff. And, yeah. You know, bringing Europeans people into the, and Americans yeah. together probably were doing this, but... Yeah, it was more the British. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, British listeners. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, they know what their history is. Yeah. I mean, Raymond Dart was, again, South Africa. Yeah. But South Africa was populated by the British. They were. They were colonized by the British, I should say. Yeah. And and uh, I want to say Australia, too? I can't remember. Anyway, the British were big in all parts of Africa at that mm-hmm. time, and at least Eastern and Southern Africa. And yeah, I mean, things were being reported back. If you wanted to publish a paper, you know, you did it in British journals yeah. with the yeah. with the, the British scientific societies of the day, mm-hmm. right? So And those societies weren't always super excited about yeah. finding human origins in Africa mm-hmm. rather than in the places that they lived. Because yeah. that it's also when you have like the Piltdown Man hoax, right? Because they wanted right. they wanted human origins to be in their area, not in Africa. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. there's a lot of racism and and stuff sort of wrapped up in this too. So yeah, things back in that time because of technology and because of just communication worked at kind of a glacial pace too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it took almost 20 years for this to be accepted mm-hmm. as part of the human evolutionary tree. But also Raymond Dart was like super slow and methodical. Yeah. I remember one of the fossils he found, it could have been the Tong child, was actually encased in like limestone. Oh, and because like it, it was, apart. I think it was found at a quarry and yeah. he was asked to come out because they found something and they didn't know who else to call. Mm-hmm. Somebody tracked him down. He came out to this quarry. They handed him these things and it was just, it took if I'm not mistaken, it took years to crack this thing out yeah. of all this, like just Separated. tiny, meticulous, because you almost couldn't separate like the limestone rock from the from the skull, from the fossil, yeah, fossil. from yeah. the fossil, and yeah. and it was just crazy how meticulous it was. I remember yeah. reading that in one of the books about him. Mm-hmm. So, well, here's a fun side note. So, and this is a really great example of somebody who is really, really important to the field, Raymond Dart having a bad idea that was wrong <laughs> but he didn't know it at the time you I know i can't wait for you to pronounce this word go mm. so dart <laughs> created the the idea of the osteodontokeratic culture oh, take that <laughs> did it <laughs> and what the what that word means osteo is bone danto is dental and keratic is horn so it's these are the bones large bones horn bone teeth horns bone teeth horns but all of those what is a horn tooth what <laughs> they're not together in the same thing bone they are separate pieces <laughs> okay so and what he did is 
around the Tong child, they found these broken animal bones and horns and things, and he associated them with the fossil. They're, they were fossilized, too. He associated them with the fossil, and basically it was like, oh, all these broken animal bones are around here. Obviously, the humans were breaking these bones and getting to the marrow and eating animals, and that's what these bones are. But it turns out after they looked at these bones again later on, you know, 30, 40, 50 years later or whatever it was, that the way these bones were broken was not by humans or human tools. It was just by predators like lions and leopards. It's the way that they... Like the story I mentioned earlier. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly what they do to bones. So that whole idea that this early species was was using was eating animals was mm-hmm. was just not true but he definitely started the idea that that was true and then they had to you know go back on it later on because it wasn't true i bet if you were to look at evolution and this whole history from a cheetah's perspective <laughs> we, if the cheetahs had evolved to have these histories they'd be like man at some point in time like it was really hard to find food and then these apes started like spending more time on the savannah yeah. it was like a buffet yeah, for three million like years <laughs> although it got a, slower hold on though from a cheetah perspective though like what's the difference between an ape and a like human ancestor ape, right? Like they're basically the same. Yeah, thing. but the, the the true apes, they 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 could just like fling themselves up into the trees and then jump from tree to yeah, tree. Yeah, that's true. But that's when we true. started getting bigger and less good at it, yeah, we just got slower we were, and probably we were tastier. Just cheetah food. Yeah, cheetah food. We started getting fatter, and yeah. we're just like, ugh. Yeah. So. All right. So another one is called Australopithecus garhi, G A R H I. 2.5 million years ago in the middle awash of Ethiopia, so back to northern Africa. Mm-hmm. And this species is much less well known. We only have a cranium and partial skeleton for the Australopithecus garhi species. And these were found by Tim White and Berhane Asfa. Asfa. Yeah. They worked together a lot, actually. Did they? Okay. Yeah. And there's honestly not a whole lot for this species designation. They just have those those bits of skeleton but they are kind of like super super important bits yeah the reason for that is because while raymond dart wanted those bones found near his tongue child to be from the people eating Mm -hmm. the animals these guys do actually have evidence of stone tool use and animal eating in association with these skeleton remains right So this is not a lot of bones for a species designation. However, it is a very important one because they found stone tools in association with these bones. So like we said, we don't have a lot of bones for the species, but it is one of the earliest examples we have of bones of this type. So Australopithecus being associated with stone tools. I'll talk about that in a second. And animal bones. And mm-hmm. and these animal bones appear to have been broken and or cut, so to speak, but smashed probably mm-hmm. with these stone tools. Now, stone tools is probably a little bit of a stretch. You can yeah. use you can pick up a rock from a riverbed and smash it with something and it suddenly becomes a tool, right? We don't probably mean that they were crafting the shapes of these stone right. tools. Right. Some of the earliest stone tools we have that were crafted in shape, we'll probably talk about in the next series, but that was one to uh, two million years yeah. by Australi- what, by Homo habilis. Right. Right. Habilis means handyman. Yes. And 
those were just the older one, older one choppers. They were called, and I've seen these. I've mm-hmm. seen some of these at the uh, Old Divide Museum, just outside the Leaky Camp, and in the Leaky Camp. Mm-hmm. And they're literally just cobbles with a couple flakes taken mm-hmm. off to make kind of a sharp make like edge. A sharp edge, yeah. Yeah, you really just probably bang the cobbles together without knowing what you're doing, yeah, because you knew that would make a sharp edge. Yeah. And those were used to like chop open bones, suck out the marrow, you mm-hmm. know, cut animals up, things like that. So. It's possible Australopithecus afarensis was doing this back then with those tools because we have actually seen chimpanzees use tools too. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, they might not have been forming these stone tools specifically for that purpose, but they're using something other than their hands. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're picking up a stone that might naturally have a sharp edge on it and using that to cut into into animal bones. And we know that because the wear on the animal bones is not what you see Mm -hmm. from either other predators or from natural breakage. It's, it was done intentionally by something yeah. with a sharp edge. And what's cool is for the longest time, we thought that was a uniquely leading to human trait is using mm-hmm. something else to accomplish a task, mm-hmm. right? But we now know, and, and a, a lot, lot of, of research has been do done, it. like crows use, yeah. use sticks and stuff. Yeah. Um, definitely chimpanzees and gorillas. And yeah. They use a stick to get into an anthill and pull it out yeah. and suck it off like it's candy. Yeah. <laughs> gross, but I yes. know. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty gross. Yeah. But it also like, what is it, like sea otters or something when they lay on their back to like use a use something to smash open like a clam mm-hmm. or something like that? Uh, or even as simple as birds dropping well, see, that's, sea stuff down to the ground to break them open. Maybe. That's kind of reverse tool it's, usage, yeah, right? Yeah, it's not really a they're not using the rock it's a process if they yeah. were dropping a rock on a clamshell that i'll give you yeah but it's close to it right so there's a lot of other species that are using different things they're very intelligent in mm-hmm. that respect yeah but this line i mean this started leading to okay so if i can break open this bone with this rock what else can i do with it mm-hmm. you know that's where that thinking led it took us a few million years to get that thinking under control yeah but it started leading to intentionally doing this, whereas most stone tool usage at that time and even before then when we don't have evidence for it was probably opportunistic. Yeah, probably. I'm going to pick this up because it looks heavy. Mm -hmm. I'm going to smash it. And crush. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yep, definitely. But we'll talk about more about early, early hominid tool use and all everything that means in our next episode. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, with that, hopefully your fingers aren't sore from writing all the angry emails about what we didn't cover. And <laughs> there's so much. <laughs> I know. And and again, we're not we're not doing an in-depth deconstruction of all this stuff. We're no. trying to hit the highlights for people who's this is maybe their first exposure to this topic. Mm-hmm. And because that's what our audience is for this show. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of ideas if we can ever get enough members and or advertising hint hint arcpodnet.com forward slash members <laughs> if we get the money to do it and you know we, we need dedicated resources for this we started a parent company called cultural media and cultural media under that heading is the archaeology podcast network and our cultural share events so go check that out culturalmedia.com and our next one's coming up in may actually on on early parenthood and child development and the, the person who runs that is having a baby the month before that. So that's probably why she wanted that topic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. anyway, it's her second child. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we are doing a lot of things under that space. But I, I want to start other podcast networks. And one of those is a paleoanthropology podcast network because I just love the subject. Mm-hmm. I couldn't host it. I don't have the knowledge. Yeah. But I'd, I would want to be part of it in some way. You could way. be like a color commentator, right? Uh, like- I could be the one that makes jokes and, and <laughs> yeah. Indiana Jones references. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so, but I'd have to make like Jurassic Park references because archaeologists don't do dinosaurs. No, no. And with that, we'll see you next week. Go watch the Indiana Jones 5 trailer. They're trying to make up for bad mistakes and (laughs) poor decisions. (laughs) Bye.
Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.archpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArcPodNet. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. .com.